0: Welcome to the ARRIVE podcast, the U.S. Immigration Law Podcast for Canadians. I am Jeremy Richards, and I'm here with my business partner and fellow immigration attorney, Christine Jerusik. Together, we are Richards and Jerusek Immigration Law, practicing U.S. Immigration Law from our offices in Buffalo, New York, and Toronto, Ontario, and we help Canadians to work and live in the United States. If you haven't already, please follow and like us on your podcast app, subscribe, to our YouTube channel, uh, Richards and Drusick Immigration Law, and follow us and like us on on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram uh, for regular updates on U.S. immigration law uh, that we have created just for Canadians. Uh, In addition, on our website, there is a resources tab where you can subscribe to a weekly newsletter where you will receive all our recent updates and posts about U.S. immigration law as well. In this episode of the Arrive podcast, we are going to be discussing uh, sponsorship uh, by a U.S. citizen relative. So if you're a Canadian and you have a U.S. citizen spouse, a, an adult child, or a parent, or other qualifying relative, maybe it's a brother or sister that, that wants to sponsor you to come to the United States, that's the process we're going to be discussing today. There's two ways you can do it. And we've talked in a previous episode, if you go back into our older episodes, we talked about what's called adjustment of status. And that's where you come into the United States and you do a one-step filing inside the United States and you're sponsored by a U.S. citizen relative to stay here permanently and to get a green card. That's what's referred to as adjustment of status. There's another option uh, that is referred to as consular processing. Because you process through the consulate when you get your immigrant visa. And then you come to the United States. And these are all done through the consulate in Montreal. No matter where you live in Canada, unfortunately, you, you yeah, can live like all even if you the live way over on the west coast. you got to go to Montreal. You've got to travel to Montreal, uh, which is a big inconvenience for some people. Um, but Canada has a limited number of people. Uh, so... They only have one location in the entire country that processes these immigrant visas. Uh, So the initial process is the same. Whether you're doing an adjustment of status or consular processing, there's a form that has to be filed by your U.S. citizen relative who's petitioning you. And it's referred to as I-130 petition for, they call it alien relative that's The U.S. still uses the term uh-huh. alien. If you're not from the United States, you're from another world. Um, we refer to it as, I, I refer to it as petition for foreign relative. Um, so that I-130, the purpose of it is to establish that you have what, what they refer to as a bona fide relationship. In other words, is your relationship with this individual who's a U.S. citizen, is it real for love if it's a spouse or is it a real father-child, mother-child, you know, parent relationship, brother-sister relationship? Is this a real relationship with the U.S. citizen, or are you trying to pull the wool over their eyes and are you trying to commit fraud? Uh, that's what that petition's for—to determine that this is in fact a real relationship. There, this is a brother or sister. This is a mother or father. This is a spouse of a U.S. citizen. Therefore, they qualify to receive a. Green card or permanent residence in the United States. So, that I 130 petition is very important in this process because you can't do the adjustment of status or consular processing unless that I 130 is approved. So, even though it's a joint filing, if you're adjusting, you still need to clu- include the proper evidence when that's filed in order for you to pass scrutiny to, in order. To adjust and get your green card, or if you're a processing, in order for you to go to the next step that we'll discuss later. Um, but that I 130 is very important. And it comes down to, and I'm, I'm looking at right now a notice that we received f- from an individual who decided that they were going to do their I 130 on their own. And they were going to petition, uh, they were a US citizen and they were petitioning their, their parent which in most instances is a fairly straightforward process if you're doing an I-130 for a parent. Uh, you, you include your parent's marriage certificate, birth certificates, birth certificates proof yeah. that this is, in fact, your parent, right? That you have a parent-child relationship. Once that I-130 is approved, then depending on how you, and this is where we're going to get into some some intricacies of the this process, depending on the box, you check on the form. It's gonna, it's going to either send your I-130 petition to an office here in the United States. They call refer to them as USCIS CIS field offices, who will then take your case and process it further, or it'll be forwarded on to what is called the National Visa Center, which is the central processing for for all immigrant visa applications throughout the world. And that, yeah,
1: for people that are
0: outside of the United outside States. outside the U.S. So if it's field office, if you're adjusting and you're in the U.S., and it'll go to a national visa center if you're outside of the U.S. And the national visa center will then shuffle some papers and send it to the appropriate consulate. So for you Canadians, they're, after NVC is done, they'll, it'll go to Montreal. But first things first, the I-130, this individual... And they, they they contacted us because they said that they needed to file a, a form that's typically not required in this process.
1: Right. If it's done correctly. If it's
0: done correctly, this form is not this required. Step. Yeah. And it's called action on an approved petition is what it's referred to as. And we don't need to get into it in too much detail. But basically what it is is you're telling the USCIS field office in the United States that your relative isn't here. In the U.S., they're actually in a foreign country and you want them to process at that foreign country. And then you ha- request USCIS to then send the petition to that foreign consulate for processing. Well, if you follow the application correctly, in there's a box that asks, where will your relative be processing? Will your relative be adjusting status? In other words, will they inside be doing the it inside the U.S.? or Will they be processing overseas at a consulate? And then you would select... Because they live outside the us they live outside States, the right. U.S. And then you select the country here. Let's say you, you would select Montreal, Canada that you'd be processing because you're Canadian. Well, this individual, for some reason, thought it was a good idea to check both adjustment of status as well as consular processing. <laughs> so, when the, so typically when the approval notice comes in, USCIS knows what to do with it because you checked...
1: You checked a box,
0: so either it, it knows one, what you want, not not right. both. You checked adjustment of status, so it'll go to the field office, or you check you checked, uh, consular processing, so it'll go to NVC and then onto the consulate in Montreal. Well, this individual checked both, so USCIS and the approval notice, and this was actually the first time I've ever seen it because we don't make this mistake, so <laughs> we've never received. Yeah, one I've never for heard client. of this mistake being made um, before, but this individual did it. Um, and i'm actually surprised it it, and well i'm actually surprised they didn't reject it in the first place because they checked both boxes
1: oftentimes they'll do that i mean that's the thing right so if you make a mistake on some of these forms they're they're not in the business of making sure you do things correctly that's up to you so if you make a mistake like this they have a way to deal with it which is send you a notice yeah
0: request information (laughs) yeah
1: right so
0: I'm actually surprised they didn't just reject this because on its face it was done incorrectly, and they can do that. If they are missing a signature, a check isn't filled out correctly, or you didn't check a box, box, they'll kick it back. Or, worst case scenario, they could take your money and deny it. But for some reason, USCIS took this case, and they still processed it. Good thing is is it got approved. But the notice, and I'm going to read what what it says here, um, because... I, th- I found it, it's not comical for this person, but it's the first time I've ever seen it. It says the above petition has been pr- approved. However, you indicated on the petition that the beneficiary intends to apply for an immigrant visa abroad at a U.S. embassy or U.S. consulate, in other words, consular processing, and you also indicated that they will be applying for adjustment of status in the United States. Since you have indicated
1: both options
0: uscs has retained the petition bad news for this person so
1: they decided in their wisdom that they would since this person didn't choose they would choose for them and And they chose the wrong option
0: so uscs said we don't know what to do with this so we're just going to hold it here and then what happens now oh they said they're
1: holding it they're not can they held it. Adjust it. No, they oh, okay. held it. They're just holding it. So they it. didn't send it to the field office?
0: Well, because it wasn't a concurrent. Okay. They didn't file the adjustment status application, just the I-130.
1: Okay. So they're holding it. So they're it holding it <laughs> <laughs> saying,
0: hey, if this person's in the U.S., then move forward with an adjustment of status application. If they're not in the U.S., however, well, you're going to have to file this extra form that's going to cost you more fees... In addition to that, this form that they're referring to to, to have action on a pre, an approved petition with USCIS takes about eighteen to twenty four months to process. So, this the parents of this individual could have been right to the next step to get their interview and then go to the consulate. They would have been in the U.S. by then, yeah. Well, within a year, yeah. But now it's not even going to get to the consulate Another for con- at least two years. Two years, yeah. So this mistake is huge. In fact, well, there you could argue that this individual should just file a, a new petition because it's going to process faster than doing this this um, request for action on an improved petition. But that's another story. So the 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 <laughs> error true. here, they should just it, start over from scratch. Should. Really, be much faster and do it correct. Um, so this individual simply by checking the wrong box. And how long has
1: he waited for this decision? Let's see. Not
0: uh, well. It was a parent of U.S. citizens, so they processed pretty quickly. This was approved. It was actually approved within nine months, so it was pretty quick. But still, that's nine months. Well, nine months. That so this case. Arguably, could have been done within eighteen months because it processed so quickly, even with National Visa Center and consular processing, right? An interview. Now they're tacking another eighteen months at a minimum on top of that. So this the parents could have been here. In the meantime, it's going to take three plus years for the parents to come, rather than a year and a half.
1: And all because somebody got a little yeah, so had a little extra time with their pen.
0: They and they probably just didn't know what they were doing. Um, which
1: is Well, they didn't know which option would work best. They they weren't aware of the ramifications of choosing one over the other. So they chose maybe both. Maybe
0: the parents were here when they filed it and then went back to the home country. Or maybe they
1: just thought that they could make the decision at the time it's decided. But you cannot. you right. have to do it ahead
0: of time. Yeah. And there are, and if you are going to do it this way, the best way actually is to check consular processing over adjustment of status. Because then if you, you can change your mind and and adjust just by simply entering the country and filing for adjustment. Yes. You don't have to file this, uh, this, what's called I-824. But if you do what this individual did and USCIS retains it, you have to ask them to send it to consulate. So big, big mistake. Um, And there are other mistakes that can impede the processing of your petition for your form. Sure, that's just
1: one box that was checked wrong and there's how many boxes on this form? Oh yeah, there's (laughs) pages, pages, right?
0: Right. And there's two, right? There's one for, if it's a spouse, you actually have to fill out two separate forms. Um, So there are many opportunities for error. But there's also what is called initial evidence. All of these petitions must be supported by the minimum required initial evidence. For example, if you're filing for a spouse, the minimum evidence is you need to prove you, whoever the petitioner is, that your your petitioner, if you're Canadian, you need to show the person petitioning you, is a U.S. citizen. So their passport, naturalization certificate, certificate of birth abroad, whatever they have to prove they're, in fact, a U.S. citizen. You also have to prove what your citizenship and nationality is. You need to prove that you are legally married. If you had previous marriages, that those were terminated. And then you get into what's called bona fides. And that's where the bulk of these applications come. That's evidence that you are, in fact, living in a marital union. You had kids together. You have joint bank accounts. You have uh, joint leases or properties, health insurance, whatever it is all of that laundry list of evidence they review to determine that this is a real marriage and, if and on you it's know what, face, th- that only really
1: applies to spouses though so if yes, you're in any other kind of familial relationship with a u.s citizen you typically don't have to prove the relationship beyond the documentation that biographic documents right you so your birth certificate and things like that but in the uh, only other instances where you have a u.s citizen father who was not married to your mother that at, at the time, right? So then you have to show, prove that that was your dad. Um, they're not just going to accept simple documentation on a lot of those cases.
0: Yeah. You, your father had to have raised you yes. and been a part of your life. right? So
1: that would be another type of case that would require, you know, the type That's of a bon- more complicated. A bona fides type situation. But we're, we focus mainly on spouses. That That instance doesn't come up too often.
0: And those can actually be more complicated than a spousal case. Mm-hmm, true. Um, and they could ask, if they want, they could ask for a DNA tests to prove right. relationship. Yeah, we've seen that. Um, so, this initial evidence, if your application doesn't have all the right boxes checked, if it doesn't have the signatures and, and dates and right filing fees and correct initial evidence, they could accept your application. And USCIS is really mean like this accept your application and then on a very simple review when they find one of these deficiencies they can deny it
1: mm-hmm.
0: and say denied for lack of initial evidence or because you checked the wrong box or whatever it is there are many reasons we've seen these denied and, because and somebody just how did many it times
1: wrong. have you seen where they give a refund after they found a wrong box checked and they send your check back <laughs> well never right <laughs> they don't they <laughs> keep your money never they keep your money, and they could wait six months to tell you this as well. So yeah, you wasted half a year and all that cash um, towards an application where you checked one wrong box, and that can really, that truly, honestly happens. So all the time, yeah.
0: We have, I mean, this case in point that we were just talking about uh, is going to cause additional processing time as well as money for this individual, and that's where we often get the the question had somebody ask me this yesterday, Canadian, enter the United mm-hmm. States. This person actually came in through uh, Thousand Islands area, um, married to a U.S. citizen. Why should we hire you guys? Why, why should we ha- even hire an attorney? Well, right. These, this these seems like a straightforward
1: w- process and we're just, we're married. So I'm just going to file my own paperwork. It doesn't make any sense. I don't need legal assistance.
0: And you may be successful, but if you're not, you're talking... It's not days of delays. When you mess up an immigration case, it's months to years of delays. In addition, you're paying the filing fees again.
1: Hundreds to thousands of dollars, depending on your type of case, yeah.
0: And So should I hire an attorney or is it worth it? Well, if you ask me, I'll say yes. Why? Probably going to get processed within normal processing times if you use an attorney and they know what they're doing. And you're not going to have to pay duplicate fees if it's filed correctly. So you'll get peace of mind that it's being filed correctly, that the individual who's handling your case knows the steps and can address any concerns that arise during the process. So you can save yourselves months in processing, Mm -hmm. not that hiring in in this is not that an attorney can speed up a case. If any attorney ever tells you that it's a lie, they can't no attorney can speed up your case. The government decides how right, fast. Right. There's your case no processes. there's no
1: fast track for cases filed by attorneys. Yeah,
0: you don't get preferential treatment because no. you have an attorney. You hire an attorney because they know what they're doing. You avoid errors. You make sure your case is sufficiently supported with the right evidence, so that it avoids delays in processing.
1: And I think part of the value too is, um, you you know, you have peace of mind that it's being done correctly. But if you have any concerns or something, you know, some fact pattern changes in your case and you don't know how to address this situation, you have somebody in your corner that can tell you how to do it. Or if your case is taking longer than you think is normal, you have someone to call and say, hey, is this normal processing? It's like, what should I be doing here? Is there something else I need to do? And you know that you have someone in your corner to answer those questions and be there when you start worrying about your case, um, you know, and having questions that come up that you just don't know how to answer and you can't find the answer on Google sometimes.
0: Yes. I would say that's one of the biggest services we provide is Mm. peace of mind. We've been through it. We can guide you. We get calls
1: from people all the time that file their own cases and they just have questions about it and they (laughs) can't find the answer online. And unfortunately, we can't provide that kind of specific legal advice in, you know, Or they hired another
0: attorney that doesn't answer their questions.
1: Yeah, that happens too. But, you know, if, if you have just simple questions, you'd think that you can just reach out to somebody. USCIS does not answer simple questions on the phone. They're not going to answer simple email questions either. So if you want somebody to be there for you and and hold your hand through the process, that's what an attorney can do. They can comfort you, let you know that things are processing normally and you get that peace of mind that's done correctly.
0: Yeah. And for example, this, this petition for the U S citizen parents here or the U S citizen petitioning for their parents. um, If this were filed correctly and they had a change in circumstances, Maybe the parents were in the U.S. and they right. decided to leave. Well, we yeah. could have instructed them. Okay, this this are your potential consequences of doing that. If you do that, this would be your next step and how to approach it so that they don't get in the situation that they are.
1: Well, then they'd have all the information to make the decision yep. right before they leave.
0: And if if it were done correctly, they could have left no problem in process at consulate, mm-hmm. right? So you can save yourself a lot of headache. Um, from one wrong box, <laughs> if you if you work with somebody somebody knows what they're doing, so on to the next. So once that let's let's assume your I one thirty's been approved, your U.S. citizen sponsored you correctly, uh, and we'll we'll talk as if you're a spouse of a U.S. citizen. Those yeah, are the it's always we nice with to get those most.
1: approval notices because we know if th- the case is moving forward and we're on to the next step.
0: And if you're consular processing, there's actually three different agencies you work with along the way. If you're ad- doing adjustment of status, we call it a one step because when you file it, it's all filed with U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. Then they'll schedule you an interview at your local USCIS service center. And it's all done through USCIS. Your background checks, everything Your is interview
1: done. at the end. It's all done. With one, Here in the U.S. One organization, yeah. And that's all you deal with.
0: Well, if you're doing consular processing, USCIS, when they're done with it, they send it to step two, the second agency that you're going to deal with. And that's what is referred to as the National Visa Center that I mentioned earlier. And the National Visa Center, I don't even know what I refer to them. I refer to them, they're just basically a document collection agency. <laughs> that's, they, you're <laughs> verifying documents and collecting documents. That's all they do. And it's kind of redundant because a lot of what they request you already submitted to USCIS and USCIS accepted it. Well, that doesn't mean the national visa center is going to accept it. They have their own set of criteria and the national visa center will do document verification. They'll verify your biographic documents. Biographic documents are in civil documents, such as your passports, your marriage certificates, your divorce decrees. um, Did I say birth certificate? Uh, All of those documents they will verify. And, Uh, they will also, at this stage, request sponsorship information. So if you're being sponsored by a U.S. citizen, they need to show that they can financially support you uh, here in the United States. So there's some income verification. And a key key point here is if you haven't filed your taxes and you're a U.S. citizen sponsoring a Canadian, you better get filing them now because they're going to want your last three years of U.S. tax returns or proof that you didn't have to file. That's done at this stage. As well as police certificates. So for the RCMP, if you're if you're Canadian, but also if you've lived in other countries after the age of 16 for more than six months, you're going to have to get police certificates from those foreign countries as well. And those can take time to get. Um, and then once all of those documents are in order, this is all done electronically. You don't speak to anybody. It's all uploaded through mm-hmm. an, a database online. And once you submit it, you're it's locked <laughs> until NBC yeah, gets submit, around to it yeah. to look at it. And, and right at, at now, this it takes at this point, as well, you're months,
1: gonna you're also gonna be completing your immigrant visa application, which is
0: your biographic information. So the you, like, where have you lived in the lo- yeah. since you were born? Where have you worked since you were born? Uh, have you ever and committed an a, immigration violation? Sure, lots of security criminally.
1: questions, and we get we get a ton of questions about people from people on clients filling out this application we don't do it for you but we will we actually can't yeah we will answer your questions on what to say because some of the questions you know people don't know the answers to um, you know they ask about your previous travel history and your previous um, history in the United States um, and some people have complex situations and even if your situation isn't complex sometimes the questions are you know confusing not, you know yeah you don't know how to answer them so or you're
0: afraid you answer it one way you might get denied
1: yeah like, I mean, is my my you know minor theft from when I was sixteen years old shoplifting in the mall? do I have to say yes to ever being arrested? I mean, that's a question that a lawyer will be able to answer for you. Yep. You wouldn't really know what to do with that um if you were just looking at it on your own. It's not clear
0: little bit of advice. Don't lie. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll give you that one piece of advice here. Do so if, not lie. if you lie. think
1: the answer is yes, you're better off putting yes.
0: <laughs> if yes, do not lie. Although not I, had, to hide I it.
1: had one client in um, the question, have you ever been deported from the United States? Um, he put yes. He'd never been deported from the United States. However, he just thought that he was um, because so of one time he free? went to the border <laughs> yeah. and they didn't let him in. Um, and so he thought he was deported. So Um, Then if you check that wrong, you know what happened? They started asking him for all kinds of documentation information about his deportation deportation hearing. (laughs) Right. That didn't happen. And then trying to explain to the National Visa Center, well, actually, um, you know, there isn't any paperwork to provide to you because he really wasn't ever deported. And he made him check the wrong box. Um, That's a process. That's a process that takes time and takes time away from the processing of your case and having your case move forward.
0: Yeah. And now that you make that point, once you upload everything to the National Visa Center, you think you got it all correct. It locks your account. You cannot make any submissions once you submit. And it warns you, you're about to submit. Are you sure? Once you do this, you can't make any changes. You hit submit right now, and it's taking three months or more for NVC to review those documents that you just submitted.
1: Yeah, that's not to interview. That's just for the National Visa Center to review them
0: that's it and if they and if one of those documents is out of order and they don't like it then they will reset and make a request it could just be for one document or all if they don't like any of them and then guess what that resets so you would then fix any errors or omissions submit again and guess what it's locked again for at least another another three three months. months yeah um and NVC has a very, very picky criteria.
1: Oh, they are, yes. Way more picky than USCIS with their documents.
0: Your birth certificate, it better be from the right issuing authority. If it's not, they'll reject it. Your Never mind. Your you marriage better be, certificate your, better be the right kind. It better be a long-form certificate. better
1: be in the right, uh, format. right format, and it better have the right Horizontal, <laughs> not vertical. Yeah, right? Oh, the orientation the of orientation. Your PDF needs to be correct, yeah. and you better be able to see all four corners of that document.
0: It better be 100% legible if there's any part of it right. that's shaded. High-quality scan. Full they're, document. You have a water stain or coffee stain on it, you better get another Or some, some
1: clients that send you pictures of documents with their hands holding the document. Yeah, and they don't
0: like that. No. Yeah. All of these things that seem very nitpicky could get your document rejected. And then they the NBC will request it again yeah. and add time. Now, not saying MVC's is perfect because they are far okay. from perfect. They reject things that they should accept all the time. Um, so it's difficult working with them and it's very frustrating because it's all done electronically. You don't speak to anybody and they can make all the errors they want, but you can't make any.
1: Right. And that's, even if you don't make a good any, point. if that's you don't a really make any point.
0: and they do, well, yeah. you're the one that suffers. Yeah. Now you can try to rectify it and request expedited review of your documents if you think MVC is making the error. And
1: it, there's ways to get To to put them on notice, sometimes we see them asking for documents that don't apply, like marriage certificates for people that aren't married. Yeah. Um, And there's a way to address that. And if you're not using a lawyer, you're probably not going to do it the right way. And you're probably not going to, you're going to run into a hard time moving your case forward.
0: it take months to fix those uh, omissions or errors. Uh, We just, we actually just submitted for a client and they were having issues um, in uploading their documents and they kept getting rejected and one of the documents that was rejected you have to prove your domicile in other words uh, that you have a US residence or that you intend on moving to the United States when your immigrant visa is approved so
1: this is for the US citizen petitioner they the have petitioner. to prove that yeah. they are yeah. domiciled in the United yes. States which doesn't mean that if your US petitioner isn't in living in the United States you can't show this But there are ways to prove it.
0: Yeah, you have to show the your your US citizen sponsor has to show their Mm -hmm. intent or actual domicile in the US. Anyway, they they submitted a utility bill from their home in the United States with their name on it.
1: That sounds like pretty good evidence.
0: Which is a if you look at the MVC checklist of documents to prove domicile, it's listed. They rejected it. (laughs) <laughs> Was
1: it a bad scan?
0: <laughs> Perfect doc. No reason for rejection. Very frustrating. Yeah. So when what do you do with it?
1: that, right? If you're if you're not using an attorney, I personally wouldn't know what to do with that. We send in what you asked for and now you're seeing that it's not good enough. So what do I send now?
0: Yeah, and I will say that this these these final two steps are far more difficult and lead to far more denials than the first step that I-130 petition. The MVC and concert processing is far more complex. Yeah, I
1: agree with you. I think, you know, I think that people, when I talk to them, and if they're um, trying to be economical about their process, maybe they're a young couple just starting out, Um, I counsel people that if you're going to take on one of these two steps on your own, you're better off trying to tackle the first step, the I-130, on your own than doing the National Visa Center and consular processing on your own. It's just a much more nitpicky and um, difficult process to navigate.
0: I agree 100%. Um, And we we do often get people that do get that first step approved. They did it on their own and then they're stuck. And they don't know how to get through the NVC. So, yes, it is a much more uh, difficult process to get through. Um, and there's much more room for error, too, mm-hmm. uh, with with what is required. So once the NVC reviews all those documents that you submitted and will assume that they that everything's kosher, it fits their requirements, they will do what is called, they will qualify your case. It will become documented qualified. In other words, they reviewed all your documents. They're the it's the correct form of a birth certificate. the The U.S. your U.S. citizen sponsor meets the income requirements. Your U.S. citizen sponsors showed that they have either domicile or intent to domicile in the U.S. Uh, if you were divorced, you they accepted your divorce decree. Whatever those documents are that were required in your case, were all accepted. They qualify your case. Now, what do they do? Well, they notify the consulate that they've qualified it. That's all they do. They say, Montreal, we reviewed John Doe's documents and they all look good. And then NVC will tell you, hey, we documentarily qualified your case and we notified the consulate. Now you sit and wait <laughs> until the consulate yep. has an available appointment. They, The NVC does not schedule your appointment. They do not do that. The consulate. So
1: even though the National Visa Center is part of the Department of State, it's not the part that does the interview. So you're. It's here in
0: the U.S.
1: Right. So this actually has to be now moved over to the consulate in your home country, which, if you're Canadian, is going to be the consulate in Montreal, um, and they will be the one that are that make the ultimate decision as to when you're coming in and they will be the one that notify you by email that you have an interview scheduled. So check your emails frequently. Um, it just happens to just show up in your inbox. There's no warning. Um, make sure that you don't change your email address between working with the national visa center and, uh, the consulate. So that's one important point. You don't want to miss that interview notice and it can slip through, check your spam.
0: And they could give you very short notice. I've seen them, hey, show up to your interview in two weeks.
1: Yeah. Most of the time, they give you around 30 days or so. But they could say, hey, your interview's in two weeks. Show up. Yeah, I had someone during COVID who got her interview within, it was within the two-week window, and she was actually visiting her spouse in the United States at the time she received the notice. So not only did she have to travel back to Canada during COVID, but she also had a two-week quarantine once she got there. So she had to reschedule her interview. Because she couldn't attend. She couldn't leave her home in Canada for two weeks. So she ended up missing that interview, um, rescheduling it, missing the interview, and having to go in uh, the next month once she'd completed all of the the work. They didn't give her enough time.
0: Well, and there's also something else you need to keep in mind. When there's a medical that needs to be performed, and that cannot be done until the consulate notifies you. So you need to be prepared as soon as you get that notification from the consul, it's your interview is scheduled. It will it gives you instructions on how to obtain yeah, that medical a, and where you can get on the phone to
1: that doctor and get that appointment made because sometimes these doctors are booking out, you know, a little while and sometimes it takes them. They they don't, you know, I've heard where they're not immediately turning around these medicals. So they'll oh. do the exam, they'll sign the paperwork, but it's not submitted for a week or two. So. Um, you know, the plan. In,
0: make sure you're ready to hit that the ground running once you get that interview notice,
1: right? Because your medical I forgot to mention could also involve you needing to get certain vaccinations or tests like done. That can take time as well. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you have to build that into your plan.
0: Yeah, and um, it's very, it, it takes a long time to go through this process. Uh, Pre COVID, you could get through this process in in a year, year and a half. Now, on average, you're looking at two years or more for these cases. Some people... When, when <clears> I did
1: this process, um, when I got married to my U.S. citizen spouse, it took eight months start to Total? finish. Total. Wow. One thirty, a consulate, a national visa center, interview, everything. Eight months start to finish.
0: Yeah, I remember... Then client, 9-11 happened. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. And then...
1: And then the forms restructured, turned into like the like 20 whole, pages and yep. the whole process just became more and more of a security uh, check. And then now it's, we're looking at what, 15, 18, sometimes 24 months.
0: Yep. Depends on processing and things like COVID can delay processing. So you need to plan ahead uh, and definitely, and they'll warn you about this with all the notices that they give you either from USCIS or MVC or the consulate. Do not sell a home. Do not make travel plans. Do not make any permanent plans until you have that visa in your passport and you've been approved. Because you don't know when it's going to come or if you'll even get it. So if you're making plans, future plans on this, <laughs> that's scary. Uh, don't set marriage... like. And you, you have fiancé visas we that just, go through a similar process. You can't yeah. set a marriage date that you're going to be able to count on and that immigration is going to process your case in time. Keep
1: in mind, like I, this wasn't a marriage-based case, but just today I got notified that um, a client finally received his visa today five years after his initial interview. Holy cow. Five years. Mind you, COVID happened in the intervening time, and it wasn't a spousal case. It wasn't a priority case. Oh, so um, Yeah, it, it was a... Um,
0: it's a sibling or a parent.
1: It, well, as actually a son, a married son of a U.S. citizen. Oh, yeah. And he was over 21. Um, it was take much longer to process. Much longer to process, but finally got his visa. So if he'd sold his house when he had his initial interview and made plans to move, this guy was waiting five job. years. He quit his job, you know, any of those things. Luckily, he was smart enough not to t- not to take any of those um, actions before he finally has the visa and his passport. And now he's going to come get the visa. He's going to get the visa. He's going to come to the United States. He's going to process for his green card. And he's going to return home to Canada for a month or so to tie up all his loose ends before he actually moves to the United States.
0: Did it the right way. Yes. Unlike the individual I spoke to just yesterday who called, was referred by another immigration lawyer, which I'm always skeptical when I get that call. It's like, you already have an attorney. Why am I talking to you? Your attorney Mm. should be advising you on this. Uh this person was irate because they they tried to enter through our lovely Windsor uh Detroit, Detroit area <laughs> with her with a U Haul full of belongings because <laughs> uh they wanted to come down and set up their home because they plan on immigrating here and their visa is processing through the consulate. But
1: this wasn't a US citizen, Canadian was citizen a Canadian. couple, was it?
0: It was a Canadian
1: was a canadian individual
0: individual oh, but it? this is to underscore the importance of having a visa in hand to do certain things in the u.s you have to have that visa before you come not you can't you can't put the cart before the horse because she this individual showed up without the visa authorizing uh work in the u.s while it's pending oh. at the consulate in in Toronto this is this was actually for an investor but very similar situation as far as waiting for your visa refused entry and individual doesn't understand why well you don't have a visa that authorizes you to work and live in the US yet you are a canadian visitor you cannot do that until you, yeah, you have the visa down. what shocked me most was the attorney <clears throat> didn't advise properly on this. Oh,
1: they had an attorney working yeah, on that? an
0: immigration attorney. Wow. And that attorney said to call us to help fix it. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> and I don't want to come off as rude or mean, but if we don't file a case and another attorney is handling, this is still processing. It's still at the consulate waiting for interview. Yeah, Most of the time, we're not going to step in. Yeah, you can And we can't. And unfortunately, they messed up. And they messed up bad, and it's really messy to get in there and try to fix this stuff. So uh, oftentimes, there's nothing we can do, and we'll turn these, turn you away if that's your situation. So important to work Unless, with the right people. I mean,
1: i I did have a similar case with a spouse um, of a U.S. citizen, and they were mo- they had been living in Canada, and they decided to show up at the border. They hired um, a I won't say a, a law firm in Toronto. Um, immigration firm to help them with their move to the United States. And they received a letter from that lawyer. I think we've talked about this before yeah, on the podcast saying that, Hey, border they officer let us in. Yet. No, they had not filed yeah, anything different. Right. Um, yet. So they were able to switch attorneys and we're helping them out now, but do it correctly. Yeah, the recourse is they have to continue to live in Canada until we can get this done. Yeah. You know, that they can't. And now they're
0: flagged and, Everything else that comes along with that, but they hadn't filed it yet. No. This person had already filed with an attorney. It's pending.
1: Yeah, so that's
0: bad advice, bad advice, and this person was thought they were very entitled, which added to it. Um, but there, are, no matter who you are, what your circumstances in life, they don't care. That's there true. is a process <laughs> and you must go through that process. I
1: think I advise people like once a week, I, I get phone calls from people telling me their, you know, personal situation in their immigration case. I'm like, you know, a lot of times I'm like, that's, it's irrelevant. They don't, they don't care. They, they just don't care. Especially when you've got, um, you know, people that have started, I have a, a couple now they're, um They did the fiance visa process on their own. It was a Canadian U S couple. And they just Googled it and figured it out on their own. And they got through the process and she was in the United States and they were getting married and they rightly realized that adjusting her status in the United States after they were married was going to be complicated. So they called us for help. They were flabbergasted to hear that she was going to not be able to leave the United States for a period of time. And this really impacted her family because she had like children living in Canada. I think they're grown, but at the same time, she is emailing me once a week because she can't get to Canada. But this was a process they chose without any input from an attorney. Unfortunately, if they had called us before they started, we would have been able to navigate this process and kept her travel open and available to her throughout. But they moved forward without assistance and now they're stuck. She, she's stuck in the United States. I mean, she's with her spouse. She's not uncomfortable, but at the same time, her travel's impeded and she doesn't like that. Um, so sometimes if you do it certain ways, plan in advance, talk to a lawyer, you can make changes to your application or file in a certain way to accommodate your lifestyle.
0: Yeah, and these are questions that we like to ask in our initial assessment of a case. Do you need to travel or work during this process? Because that can determine which one you take. Mm-hmm. If you absolutely have to work or travel, well, adjustment is it's not going not to a work good option for, you. for you. However, you can do that. If you consular process, you can continue to visit the United States. As long as you maintain your residence in Canada, Mm -hmm. as long as you maintain employment and in your life in Canada, you can continue to travel back and forth and visit your U.S. spouse throughout the entire process. No problem. If you're working in the U.S., let's say you have a TN visa in the United States and Mm -hmm. you're consular processing, you can continue to travel. Back and forth on your TN, as long as your consular processing and you maintain your foreign ties until they approve you to come permanently.
1: Yeah, I love when I talk to people and they call me and they say, "Hey, I'm you know we're getting married, Um, you know, but we we're not going to do it for a couple years, Uh, you know, and it, we're just planning now because we think we want to live in the United States." So you may not, you know, a lot of people wouldn't want to talk to these couples, but that's when I say, you know what you should do? Get married now and start the process because in two years you'll have your green card and you can move to the U.S. and start your life together. So, um, you know, it's really important to plan long in advance for these types of moves and talk to an attorney early in the process just to make sure that you can accommodate your lifestyle and that the immigration system doesn't impact it, you know, and and cause you to be stuck in the United States because you're trying to do something in a hurry. And there's one other
0: thing that can happen at your interview, your immigrant visa interview. You can be stuck in what is called it's a black hole of immigration called administrative processing.
1: You know what's funny though? I just have to interject here is yeah. we talk about being stuck in the United States to people from countries throughout the world it's they're like trying to get <laughs> here and and it, they don't consider it to be stuck but our Canadians they, consider they all it consider stuck. it to be stuck in the United States I think just because it's so close and all their families there they're like what do you mean I'm stuck in the U.S. it's just yeah, uh, you know a so different true. perspective for a different culture Canadians right have have <laughs> They're their tra- yeah travel. to go back to Canada it's very true yeah it,
0: and, other, and then we'll have other client from India, they've been here 30 years and they've been here illegally that entire time <laughs> and they're fine staying until they get their paperwork. Or they've they been don't here care. legally they and, and they say, yeah, I can't
1: wait to get my green card because I really want to go home and visit my mother. I haven't seen her in 15 years. And, <laughs> you know, for, after talking to our Canadians that are like, I have to go home and visit my mother every weekend. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. It's a it's different so perspective. True. Yeah,
0: it's so true. Um, but uh, administrative processing, so after your interview, if that consular officer wants to do further review of your case, uh, if they want additional documentation that's above and beyond what's normally required, or if they they have a database hit on your name or something about you and you have to pass additional security clearances, you can be put in what's called administrative processing, which has does not have a... To find processing time.
1: Didn't it used to? I feel like they used, used to be 90 days or
0: used to they used to say that they cleared most cases out of administrative processing within 60 days. 60, okay. If you check now. Was it ever
1: 60 days? I don't feel heck, like Yeah.
0: It was <laughs> maybe it usually within three months, people would be cleared yeah. out of it. Now they say, don't even contact us to ask where your case is at. If it's within 180 days.
1: Oh, my gosh. So if you're in administrative processing, it's really like a black hole.
0: It is. And they have no time frame for which they have to respond to you or to clear it out. They can take as long or as little time as they please.
1: And they can give you as much or as little information on what they're looking into. Then we have to tell you why.
0: Would you say we're putting you in administrative processing? Well, Why?
1: I mean, a lot of times it's security reasons, right? They're doing more background or checks they want and a things.
0: document or something. Yeah, maybe you had a criminal history and they want more uh, information about your charges, or yeah. you had an immigration violation and look, they they want to look into that more. But you
1: you mean you could you get put in administrative processing? They ask you for certain documents, you submit them. Or I know a lot of our consular applicants have to complete a there's a, a specific there's form, questionnaire, yeah, yep. a questionnaire on it. And you submit that, and you could literally sit there for six months waiting for them to review that information. Or they just and ask. And you can't even follow up with on it until that point in time.
0: Yep, or they just ask, uh, I know you provided your background check, but I want this document from the court. And it's a simple document that you go and get same day and return it to them, and then three months later they say, approved. Yeah. <laughs> and they could yeah. have literally just done it that second. But yeah. They don't. They don't. Because they don't have to. But we just had one clear administrative processing Um, And this individual was in it for two months, and it was a basic request about their immigration history. I also have another one who uh, is currently administrative processing that's been in there for five months Mm, Wow, with no end in sight. Um, For basic requests, too, these aren't crazy requests that these individuals got from consulate. They're straightforward requests that they were able to respond to within days.
1: And a good point to note here is if these people didn't have an attorney, they wouldn't know what's going on with their case, but even though we can't move it forward, we can let them know that this is normal. Yeah, they should just you relax, get to properly, relax, be patient. Yep, and just and wait. You, you will get a decision. You just have to wait.
0: And this goes back to your point: plan well in advance, mm-hmm. right? Because if You never know what's going to happen, and you can't set dates as to which you're going to have certain things done by. You cannot do that for U.S. immigration. A Plan for the the worst, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then hopefully the best happens, and it happens quickly. Um, But, yeah, you have to plan accordingly for U.S. immigration. Well, thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Rive podcast. Uh, If you haven't already, you can... Subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and check us out on our website where you'll find tons of information about U.S. immigration uh, in our FAQ section as well, ac- as well as access to our YouTube channel. And uh, you can subscribe to our weekly mailing list where we sent out updates on U.S. immigration law. Thank you for listening and have a great day.